Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Today's show will feature Bruno Reagan and Norman Jordan. We will talk X's and O's with Vanderbilt football and specifically on the offensive side. The title sponsor of our podcast this year is Jody Jones DDS, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after dental and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. He's earned the title of number one in Nashville for his cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spa-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many artists, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate results to all of his patients. He never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care. Thank you to Jody Jones DDS for making this season of the podcast possible. The guest line is presented by Bowl and Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable Bowl and Branch sheets could be until I got some. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY and get $50 off your first set of sheets. The news today is presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in any type of accident, please call Taylor or Russell at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Two Commodores drafted in the NBA draft, Aaron Neesmith taken 14th overall by the Boston Celtics and Saban Lee taken at 38 and traded to the Detroit Pistons. So congratulations to both those guys. Best of luck to two terrific human beings as they start their respective NBA careers. We have a special episode of the podcast this evening. We're going to switch things up a little bit. I often do an X's and O's podcast with Norman Jordan, and of course Bruno Reagan has joined our staff, and so I thought... I would let two guys much smarter than I talk about these things tonight. Uh, Norman, welcome, and the same to you, Bruno. Thank you, Chris. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Let's start here. The offense has been better in the last three weeks, over 400 yards. I believe this is the first time Vanderbilt has done that three straight weeks since 2016. Norman, what are you seeing? I'm seeing a running game that's starting to take shape. I'm seeing a running back that's doing a good job. uh, And I'm seeing that have an incredible effect on the passing game. I'm seeing a quarterback that's getting more reps and therefore getting more confident. Uh, I think they're they're figuring out what it is that that Ken Seals does well. And then going with that, Ken's got a good arm. 
So if you can get them thinking, here comes the, the running back, he can pick them apart. Bruno, your thoughts there. Yeah, so I think uh I think when we saw the fir- the offense in the first part of the season um we were seeing we were seeing te- a team that was trying to force things, right? So we were seeing teams trying to force the screen game which uh ended up in either turnovers or just wasted downs. I mean, it was just something that the team wasn't good at at the time. Now I think we just see a team that is focusing on the stuff that they uh, probably practice the most. I mean, it's it's not a complicated game to it's not a complicated game to watch. I mean, it's inside zone run game. I don't. I think there's a few outside zone thrown in there, but for the most part, it's between the tackles run game. Uh, they spread the field out. You know, they. It's probably the same personnel groupings. Like you know, they have the tight end in there, but they'll mostly shift Bresnahan or whoever's in out to the slot to try and spread the defense out more. And it's not because typically teams want to run a spread offense because they believe in their athletes better. But I think it's just to give our offensive line an advantage by you know opening up the box. And they'll they'll also make the make other teams respect it by you know throwing the swing out every now and then and hopefully getting about three four or five yards on it, but for the most part it's just a team that's been hammering the run game and it's about as pro style as you can get first second down run run efficient and then third down or second and long that's where you normally see the pass open up most teams will that run a pro style will typically go 60 40 60 percent run game 40 percent pass they'll try to do stuff off the play action and stuff. And uh, I think this team's just stuck with it offensively. They're stuck with their game plan. Let's talk about Ken Seals. Bruno, I'll start with you. What are you seeing in terms of his improvement? He was much better with the ball, I thought, against Kentucky. No turnovers after a four-turnover game the week before. Listen, that's the most important thing is taking it uh, week to week. That's how you can tell if the guys, you know, that's how you can tell if the guys, like, actively trying to improve, thinking about it. I mean, the dude... Let's be honest. If he didn't have four turnovers, I probably would have won that game. He probably recognized it. He was like, this is by far my biggest issue. If I don't do anything else this week, I'm going to protect the football because that's the most important thing. And he did it. So I think that speaks to that this kid is trying to, you know, get better. He's not just waiting out the season like oh, next season will be my season. So I, I'm just kind of go going to go out there and do whatever he wants. No, he's taking it week by week, treating it like a pro. So. Yeah, I think I think what you're seeing him understand is it's in high school it, it's really a two-dimensional game. In college, it gets to be three-dimensional. Uh, you see that your receiver has beaten the the defensive back. You don't see the linebacker between them. You know, there was one and the one that kicked off in the end zone was a classic case of that. As he saw his receiver break open. You got to see the whole field and, and, you know, right to the linebacker. So when you have that happen, you know, when you're a freshman quarterback, you don't know that you don't know. And then usually by the sophomore year, you know that you don't know. And then by the junior year, you quit thinking and just play football. And, and that's, you know, where Ken can get to in a hurry because he's already had a lot more reps than, than most quarterbacks will have by the end of their sophomore year. Norman, you mentioned Keon Henry Brooks is a big part of this offense. I agree. I, I think as Bruno mentioned, it is setting up a lot of other things. Um, I guess the issue with him now is he's hurt, and they've used him a lot. But I don't know. What kind of back is this guy by the time he's done at Vandy? Uh, he's, he's already exceeded everything I thought. I mean, I, I thought he when I first saw him, 
early on, I thought he was the, the guy they were looking to break through the open hole and, and break the long run. But now that I see him, he's, he's stronger this year. He's tough. Uh, he takes the hit to the defenders. Uh, he, he can run inside. He can run outside. Uh, I really like what I see with him. I think when when he can learn to do uh, the the little bounce outside, like we've had a certain running back last year that could do that pretty darn well. When he can do that, he'll be pretty much complete. And and also, I mean, I've always watched this as, as an ex-running back. I watch on pass protection. He does a great job on that. So yeah, Henry Brooks, uh, he is what we call an every down back, right? So when we had even when we had Keyshawn in there, I mean, so let's think about the backs we've had in the past. Like Ralph Webb, Ralph Webb was by far our top. He, he Ralph was probably the closest thing we had to every down back before Henry Brooks, right? Ralph could do everything. Ralph could do the pass pro. He took great pride in it. He was our short down back. He was our he was our every down back, right? So now then we then the next few years we had a split between Kari and Keyshawn. Keyshawn did most of the stuff with the screen game, the swing game, our first and second down running back, but every now and then gold line, red zone, short yardage, Kari would come in. Keon Henry Books is what we call every down back. He can do it all. He can do the short yardage. He can stick his head in there. He can run through the hole, you know, even if there's color in there or not, or he can just, he can run it on first and second down and be that guy. So that's a definitely a extremely valuable thing. Now it comes with the risk of being injured because your workload's super high. Ralph's workload was super high. And obviously he had a bunch of tweaks in there. So that's going to be something they have to manage uh, coming forward when he comes back, but definitely a very, very promising uh, player. Bruno, I'm going to direct this one just at you because your senior year was Javian Marlowe's true freshman season. I just remember watching fall camp. I was really wild with that kid, and I think you guys were too. What are your thoughts on him, what he can be? He's apparently coming back this week. To me, he doesn't look like quite the player he was when he got here. I know he's been hurt a lot. I don't know if that has sapped some of his explosiveness, but what are your thoughts on him and maybe where he is now compared to when you played? Yeah, so he was a true freshman when I was a senior, and I remember him perfectly. I mean, we had a lot of backs in the room. You know, we had Wakefield, blasting game, uh, Vaughn, but every time Marlowe would come in, he just brought something different than all those guys. It was really hard to explain. Um, he was just super exciting. He was a young kid that had a lot to prove, and he was out there to prove it. So, you know, I don't know much about his injury, his injury history now. Or I've been focused on the guys who have been playing now. So it's good to hear that he's going to go back out there because he really had, he really had something to him. But uh, we'll see, I guess, how he reacts or how he shows up after a series of injuries because that can really derail. And if anybody's career can be derailed by injuries, it's definitely the running back. I mean that that's an extremely tough physical job, and it's just something hard to get that back when you get it naturally taken away from you via injury. Yeah, Bruno, I'll follow up on that. Going back to Ralph Webb, when Ralph would get that ankle banged up, and, mm. and it, it's not going to heal until spring ball or something. I mean, when, when a running back hurts an ankle, it's really hard to heal it up. He didn't quite have that breakaway speed that, that he had before that. He was still a, an excellent running back. But once they get banged up like that and you don't you really can't trust that ankle, then uh, it, it gets really tough to finish up the season, but you have to. Mm-hmm. 
Norman, I'm going to ask this one just of you because you're the only guy that's there for all the games, uh, home and road. And you can see this better than we can. What are you seeing of the receivers? Are they getting open and more separation with defenders than they were earlier in the year? Yeah, they're they're getting a little more separation early in the season. I, I, I think, you know, I couldn't tell you without watching practice or hearing the coaches, but I think what they're doing is they're starting to make the routes their own. You know, when when the coach teaches you the route, you run it exactly like he tells you, but then you start making it your own. You have a little fake left, a little fake right, whatever it is that you do, a little hitch, whatever it is, and then all of a sudden if you find out it works for you, you keep doing it. And I think the biggest thing that, that you see going on right now is you're starting to see an element of trust between the receivers and the quarterback that they feel like when I get open, he can put the ball there. So, you know, if, if you don't feel like the ball is going to be there, in theory, you work just as hard, but, you know, you look up and it's coming at you and you're kind of surprised. So, I think there, there's the trust levels, the big thing that we're starting to see right now. I'm going to ask this of each of you. Norman, I'll start with you and then let Bruno go. What is the one next step for this offense that you think is attainable this season in terms of getting better? I think it's mental. Uh, what I would like to see them do, and, and frankly, I've been saying this for the last several years, it's to see them as an offense realize first time we get the ball, we want to score, we want to go up, and we want to play from the lead. And that, that's been, been an issue for a long time, uh, and, and that's really 100% mental. You know, it's one thing to, you know, we've seen them so many times get down 14 and keep scrapping and, and fight back into the ball game, but it's, a, it's a, an entirely different offense when you go out and take a seven-point lead, take a 10-point lead, and then start protecting that lead and playing from ahead and rather than playing from behind. Yeah, Chris, I think Norman makes a good point there. I mean, I've so Coach Ludwig would have all these – he had all these stats where I would just be like, uh, what are these stats? How is he pulling this out or who, where is it from? But he showed us this one statistic where it was like the team who scores first – that's why we would take the ball all the time whenever we had the opportunity. He was, he was like the team that scores first, I think it was – it might have been 70, 80 percent like in an SEC game, the person who scores first wins a 70, 80 percent of the time, which is pretty crazy statistic. Is it superstitious maybe to say that if we score first, we have this better chance of winning? I don't know. I think it's smart to follow the numbers there. But as far as a practical thing, I think the team needs to take the next step in. Uh, I think the play action game needs to, you know, come into fruition because that's how you're going to get most of your deep shots in a, in this style of offense, right? You're not going to swing the ball and you're not going to hit a 50 or 60 yard run. You're not going to hit the 50 or 60 yard inside zone run every time. I mean, those are, you see those things after you basically chip away, chip away, chip away. And in the second half, maybe you, you know, you start busting these things out, but um, most of your big plays in this style of offense is going to come from the play action game. And this is something they need to do if they want to, you know, be more explosive, you know, add an extra element to it because they play, they run a very base style of offense right now. I mean, it's zone game. It's second and long third down jet protections, you know, six man style pass game. Um, so as far as, uh, as far as, you know, the next step, it's probably establish a play action game, you know, give the defense something else to think about, have that deep threat. And then after that, it's probably the screen game, you know, have something that can, 
that can really surprise somebody on a second on a second down or if you're at that third and short maybe this is something you could throw in there and make a big play off of it so those are those are a few things i think that can be the next steps for this offense and i'd, I'd like to add to that chris what can happen when when you've got a running back that's capable of putting up 100 yards any given game that also opens up the quick slant because your linebackers can't stay back as much as they normally do and, you know, when you open up that quick slant, you're opening up a whole new level of the passing game because, it's A, it's a pretty easy throw. It's not a hard catch, and especially if the linebackers are moving up rather than moving back into the pass, then you're really, you're really starting to work the offense then. I didn't mean to neglect the offensive line, so I wanted to touch on that bunch before we go to the mailbag. Norman, I'll start with you. What are you seeing different about this bunch? What are you seeing maybe that is working, that wasn't working at the first part of the year? Because I think Peter Rosamondo has done a really good job with the bunch and I think exceeded just about everyone's expectations. Well, I, th- I think they're getting used to playing with each other first and foremost. You know, And, and I, I've said this multiple times, and Bruno, I hope you agree with me but because you sure played a lot more line than I did, but you're, you're not always trying to put your five best guys in the offensive line. You're trying to put the five guys that play the best together because if you got one guy that's a super blocker, but he screws up every third play or something, you don't have a complete offensive line. It, it's when they're all doing the right thing at the right time that, that you've got a good offensive line. So I think the chemistry in the offensive line is just as important as it is as it is with the quarterback receiver. Yeah, I mean, that's the age old. I like the point you made because there have been times in my offensive line career, Vanderbilt, where we did both. We tried to find we tried to find the five most talented players and just stick them in there. And that didn't last long at all. And then we would have the five what we called the five best the five best, and that's when you saw us flip-flop, you know, me to guard to center all the time. Was I best at center at the time? No. Was it best for the team? Probably. So, I mean, I definitely get what you're saying there. They they tr- they always try – coaches try to simplify things and put the talent on the field where they can, but most of the time it just doesn't work out. So, you saw with this team, you know, they were trying to find – the because, I mean, they had no idea as far as talent. They, I mean, they knew they had Grant Miller, they knew they had Tyler Steen, two very talented guys, right? But they needed to fit the pieces around them. And I think they're finally, you know, settled on something – and now these guys are just going to work. I think they have a few uh, they have a few miscues, discipline issues, penalties, right? But this is all stuff that can be worked on pretty easily. And for the most part, this is a unit that wasn't expected much of. And they've come out and they've been probably the top unit in the whole team at this point. So besides running back, which is one guy, so it's a lot easier. It's been a very impressive uh, workload by those five, six, seven guys who have played and contributed this season. Yeah, and Chris, one thing I'll say is, is you're really good coaches. They find out what their players can do and have them do it. Mm-hmm. You, you can't, a guy that's not a natural pass blocker, whatever, you know, uh, they can't do certain things. Well, have them do what they can do and, and work within that range. Uh, I know, I mean, goodness knows, as a running back, if I were your running back, you'd do exactly what Coach Mack and Coach Brown did, and that's throw the football to me. Don't ask me to run it. You know, that's a good point, and it makes me wonder, if it's a no-COVID year, right, then you have several guys who I guess are still around. 
you have some pieces to work with in that case. But what you said, Norman, there, I thought about knowing what you have. I mean, it seems really simple, but if you think about it in context of 2020, okay, what happened? They had four practices and things got called off. They've had helter-skelter practices here and there with a ton of guys out. I think the offensive line got hit really hard with COVID issues in in August and September. So if you think about it like that, I guess this is a coach who's just now figuring out what he has, whereas he might have known a lot of this in, in the summer or a week into fall camp. Yeah, in my opinion, there's no place harder in the SEC than Vanderbilt to go without practice. I mean, that, Vanderbilt has to be a good practice team because you're not going to go out and out-talent the guys most days. So if, if you don't get the reps in and you don't find out, you've got two new coordinators, they're not sure what their players can do. They're not, not sure what their, their strengths are and what their weaknesses are. And even when you're going against your, you know, number ones against number twos, you still don't know. It's, in, it's when you get in the ball games that you find out, hey, this guy can do this really well. He's not so good at this, so we'll, we'll kind of keep him out of there on that. But let's, let's go with their strengths. Bruno, you played with a lot of these guys, so you still have some relationships, those sorts of things. What is it the kids like about Peter Rosamondo? Where is it that they feel that he is helping them? I just feel like he's given the guys a sense of uh, commonality of what they're trying to learn. A lot of times when we uh, – there were not a lot of times, but there are some times where we were – where you could – imagine having a teacher at university, right? And they teach – they teach one thing to one person and then they go back on it and then they teach another thing to another person. And it's just kind of, it gets kind of confusing. Right. And is it that coach's fault? No, not really. I mean, they're trying to coach the individual, but I think what coach Russ has done well is he coaches the whole unit and he's like, this is how we do it. And if we all do it the same way, we will be successful. Right. There's so many different philosophies to offensive line coaching and it's still a very, uh, new science, I like to call it, because these offensive line guys that go to seminars, pro, college, I mean, they're all trying to figure it out. Coach Norcross did a lot of things that were outside of the norm. Who was Coach Norcross was my coach for most of the years at Vanderbilt. I think Coach Russ has taken a really good approach in terms of as far as technique, as far as scheme. Everyone does the same thing. So that way, when it comes to their limited practices, you know, you know, you maybe get only a certain amount of film to watch, but he's coaching these guys the same. So you just hear the same message, the same coaching points. So even the guys who aren't playing or something can hear these same coaching points and the whole unit is learning and it's not nearly as confusing. You know, it's easy to be engaged in. I think that's what the guys have really liked about Coach Russ. And obviously yeah, in a COVID season, I mean, this kind of consistency is really important. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you say, Bruno. Uh, one thing I will say on top of that that is so uh, each player you have to handle differently. You know, mm -hmm. one guy you can yell at, the other guy, you, you just pull him aside and say, look, here's what mm -hmm. you did and here's what <laughs> you should have done and all that. I, I remember when uh, my senior year, Dave Roberts got moved over to running backs. He'd never coached running backs. And he called me in his office first day and he said, um, Norman, I want to know what you need from me. I'm like, what? He said, what do you need from me? I said, well, coach, you got the reputation as, as a yeller. And I don't do real well when I get yelled at. I, I go in a shell. So if I screw up, I'll probably know before you did. And so just don't yell at me. 
And he said, okay. And I said, what do you need from me? And he said, well, if I mess up something when we're going over practice and we're going over plays, don't correct me in front of the players. Just come to me afterwards and I'll fix it next meeting. And, and we had a great relationship from that point on. Yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like coaches uh not it's not all of them, but it's definitely you hear that a lot less of coaches. Most coaches coaches are coaches are just like players, just older. It's a in this sport, it's a very this is a very egotistical sport, a very, you know, pseudo alpha male sport. I I hate using these type of terms, but that's just the way it is. So there's a lot of communication misissues. This is something that I really like coach Norcross, you know. People would have not people that's where I respect a coach because I've played I played a little bit in the pros, right? And so I've seen I've seen the good, the bad. But with coach Norcross, I mean he was the same way. He uh he talked to he talked to his leaders and he was like, listen, this is how I'm gonna do things and this is how I want things. This is how this is just basically how I expect it. You know Tell me, tell me what your thoughts are, right? Because obviously you don't want to scream and yell and go crazy on your top guys, because then the younger guys are going to be they're going to be scared, scared relentlessly, and they're going to go out there to play not to win, but to play not to get yelled at. I think there's just a different style of coaching, and a lot of coaches haven't adapted to that yet to try and find how it works. And Coach Russ has just found how it works for his guys. I mean, could you imagine? I couldn't imagine getting chewed out on a Zoom meeting. It just doesn't. It just doesn't hit different in my head than uh, than some of the times I've been in in that in that meeting room face to face with those guys. So, dude, it's just an interesting time. And I think from what I've heard from the guys, they've loved the way Coach Russ has handled it. So, I would go ahead and take us into the mailbag that is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of your insurance needs, call Josh today at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or at facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He is my insurance agent. Give him a try and tell him you heard about his business on the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'll start with you, Bruno. This is from Viewperior. He asks, is there anything going on with Donovan Kaufman? He has been out for a while, and someone mentioned he tweeted displeasure about his situation recently. Um, yeah, so it's never a good look if somebody hits the social sphere, right? I think uh, I'm not one to speculate on kids and stuff. And where, cause I think whenever, I think whenever most of us were in school, we would tweet cryptic stuff for fun, just, uh, you know, not, it was not like we were displeasured, but you know, kind of where we were at with the program and where we were going, you know, like, uh, work harder, OTMU stuff like that. But, um, so I don't want to read, I don't want to read into a kid's, uh, into a kid's social media post, although I think he was very forward in what he posted. So it's hard not to read into, but, um, Man, this I can I I can understand it. This season has been nothing but a grind in the classroom. You know, it's something you're stuck in your room and you do all your classes online. And then when you're not doing that, you're on your football classes online. You're basically doing football online. And then you go and you practice in person. So in your whole head, you're thinking like, why is why are things different when we're literally just sweating all over each other like why can't we meet with each other in person i'm sure it's a lot of frustrating things and i'm surprised actually more people haven't kind of lost their marbles because i probably would have if i was a young kid in this in this in this situation i mean my early years in college football were very uh i did not have things figured out at all so i'm kind of surprised that 
we don't hear more of this. And maybe it's because a lot of people have left the program. I mean, it, people have left the program in record numbers. But um, as far as dissatisfaction, man, I don't think it's anything specific within the program. Like, oh, I'm not getting enough playing. It might just be the experience, man. It's all, everything considered, like COVID, how it's affected football, how it's affected class. Yeah, it sucks. You get college one time, and this is how it's being spent, you know? Yeah, and, and and to follow up on that, Bruno, what I would say is, I think it's frustrating for the players not to have had their families there. Yeah, and I know that that was one of the reasons that I enjoyed playing so much is I knew my family was up in the stands enjoying the ball game. So I, I think it's been tough on it. And I'm glad they're they're letting them back in. This last question is for Norman. The Upiri asks, what kind of amenities? Does Vanderbilt Stadium have with the press box, and what are some things that you would like to see in the future? Oh, Chris, you could answer that. You know, the valet service and and all that. I mean, you, you've been up there plenty of times. Now it's uh, you talking about currently with what's going on. Yeah, I, I, I'll call, I think I think that. all the electrical outlets work this year, so there's that. Yeah. Um. <laughs> there is that. <laughs> um, they they bring us in food. They they usually get Chick Fil A or something in there. So you know when we're doing the ball games, we're sitting there for seven hours, and you know I I probably should not eat every seven hours, but I kind of feel like I need to eat every seven and seven hours. So they they've got everything there. Got the flip charts. Uh, obviously, it's it's very scant in the number of people. Uh, it seems like about half the time the opposing team has brought their radio people. The other half, they do like like we've been doing and do them remotely. So, uh, you know, I I want for nothing, but I don't ask for a whole lot. So, you know, they've got flip charts, and uh, I can see the field, and so I'm, I'm pretty much happy. I'm going to make two comments about the press box. Um, I'll start with the general one. It's got a very 1980s feel to it. And then I'll say one nice thing about the press box. Uh, it's not the worst I've been in because I've been to Legion Field in Birmingham. Yeah, there there are some. No, it, it, it definitely has a 1980s feel to it. I mean, that's pretty much the same press box they put on there when, when I was playing. So there's not been much change made there. So, yeah, it's definitely got that feel. Um, yeah, there are some press boxes that are just, pretty much awful that you you feel like you'd rather be at home watching it on tv than sitting there live watching it because maybe you're too far away from the the field or too far down you know if you're doing the game from the five yard line it makes it a little bit tougher i don't expect to be on the 50 when we're traveling but somewhere 20-ish is good with me but yeah i mean it, it could stand an upgrading but i think a lot of things over there could but uh and maybe we'll get them someday soon were you working with the radio crew in 2014 at James Franklin's last game in Birmingham? No, no. I uh, Quick history from 85 to 94, I did TV, and I came back and did the sidelines for two or three years in the early 2000s, and then I just came back in, uh, I think it's Derek's second season. I will give you some anecdotes from that day. Um, <laughs> I remember we were driving in, and my buddy Mike Rapp, who's our photographer, as we're driving in, uh, the whole place is literally surrounded with barbed wire. Uh, and he says, <laughs> I'm not sure if that's to keep people in or out, uh, which was classic. <laughs> but um, we get to the press box, and where my seat is, okay, the press tables are covered 
like in linoleum, the sheets of linoleum, uh, or whatever that, you know, like the line, for Mike, I guess, like the liner you have on, you know, your, or not like on, on um, countertops, not the, not the marble ones or the granite ones, but like the, the laminate sort of stuff. And you know the strips that are like on the side piece that are about an inch thick or about an inch wide? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> on the edge, <laughs> the, the strip that went above my seat uh, had completely come unglued for about three feet. So the whole the whole game, I'm sitting there. The strip keeps falling down in my lap. I keep having to to pick it up and, and take it off my lap. So there was that. And then the hot dogs they served us, I swear, had been in a heating bin for a week uh, because they looked like George Burns's face. Yeah, it looked like the, the hot dog you see at the Seven Eleven at three o'clock in the morning. I think that would have been a treat compared to those. Not, not that I've been at a 7 No, but if you had. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, closing thoughts. Anything we didn't get to tonight on the show that is uh, worth commenting on? I'll start with you, Norman. Uh, I would like to say, uh, and I mentioned to you before, I, I really like the way that uh, Mark Stoops has, has taken the Kentucky team. I think he's built that thing from the ground up, and that's why – you know, they're having a little bit of a tough year this year, but they're in there playing with everybody every year. And, you know, he's done it by getting a, a good defense, a good offensive line, you know, and, and just blocking and tackling. And, you know, you can only coach people up so far, but if their guys are blowing you off the ball, then they're going to win. Bruno, your turn. Um, I think something, you know, not, I don't know if any of us here are defensive guys, but, you know, obviously we failed to mention the defense today. I know we've talked about it. I know I've written about it. I know most of the, I think the most frustrating thing about Vanderbilt is we have an SEC level unit one day and the other, and the, the other unit is typically just so off putting, like, like, like I think the defense, you know, Texas A&M, that first game of the season, did they have a lot of miscues? Yeah, but you could say the defense played well, but then our offense didn't play well. And uh, now we're seeing our offense play well every game, and our defense is just nowhere near up to standard. And this was something that was consistent through even my first years at Vanderbilt. I mean, our offense would be consistent. Our defense was, you know, below average. My so- my retro sophomore year, 2016, the defense was amazing. It was top-level defense. It was, like, exactly what everyone thought Coach Mace was going to bring every single year. But then our offense of struggling to put up more than 16, 17 points a game, right? So I think that's probably the most frustrating thing for Vanderbilt fans and for especially, it's just frustrating for me to watch as a player because you do everything right, you feel like, in your phase of the game and as you lose. I think that's one of the most frustrating things about football. And I'll always look back at that Baylor game putting up 550 total yards. I think it's the only time I ever did that at Vanderbilt. And we lose. So I'm in the locker room just like, man, like, come on, you know? I think that adds to a little bit of the frustration of the whole thing because some guys really feel like they're getting better. They're feel, but these guys desperately need a win, Chris. And both the all three phases of the game are going to need to come to come together for it to happen. The offense can't lead it. And if the offense, if the defense starts playing well, the offense can't let up, man. Special teams need to definitely get sorted out because they have a lot of miscues on it. All three phases of the game need to play well for there to be a win. And I think there is a win somewhere in this season. And that would be huge for these young guys. 
Gentlemen, appreciate you joining me tonight. Uh, for Bruno Reagan and Norman Jordan, I'm Chris Lee, the host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. Thank you for listening. We will be back with more episodes of the Vandy Sports Podcast next.